All right, everybody. Hello, and welcome to episode six of the Node Podcast. Today, I am talking with Amy Robinson. Amy is the conservation director at the Montana Wilderness Association. Now, I'm telling you, folks, this is a great podcast. MWA is a nonprofit that's focused on public land conservation, and they've been around since 1958. So, what that means as far as uh, wilderness and public land conservation goes, that means that they were around before the Wilderness Act in 1964, and they were involved in that process, as well as the process of designating all of the wilderness areas in Montana. Um, For those of you who are not based in Montana, I still think this will be a valuable episode for you. We talk a lot about the processes that go on in these sort of nonprofits that bridge, I guess, kind of the people and the government is kind of a rudimentary way of saying it. We get into it more in the podcast, and you'll see. You'll see. It's good. Yeah, I really love talking to Amy. I'm so glad that someone like her is the person that is working so hard to uh, protect these public lands and protect wildernesses and, and to to help get wildernesses protected by legislation. Yeah, listen to the episode. Go support Montana Wilderness Association. You can find everything you would want to know about them on their website, uh, wildmontana.org. I'll, I'll put a link to that in the show notes. But definitely go check out their website. It's super cool. They have a ton of articles. They have really good videos. They're just very comprehensive about uh, what's going on across the state in different areas that can be that need support and help and attention. I'll I'll let you know about one thing I found on their website, which is really cool, and that's the Pryor Mountains. I don't know about you guys, but I've lived in Montana for most of my life, and I have never heard of the Pryor Mountains. I'm looking at uh, the photo on their website right now, and I'm going to quote the website. The title is Montana's Alpine Red Rock Desert. I'll just read a little bit of the article. Tucked into the southeast corner of Montana, along the Wyoming border, the Pryor Mountains feature 8,000-foot peaks, deep canyons, and year-round ice caves. What? (laughs) I have never heard of this place. It looks crazy. It looks like Utah from the photo. And this is, I mean, it makes sense that I haven't heard of it because it's in the opposite corner of Montana. But, man, do I want to go there now? Yeah, it's totally worth checking out their website. You might find some places that you hadn't known about, some good places to visit, go hiking, backpacking, etc., etc. As I mentioned in the last podcast, we're making our first go at sort of feeling out a sponsorship relationship, and that's with Cowboy Roasting Co. Cowboy Roasting Co. is a small batch roasting company in Eureka, Montana. Their beans are ethically sourced, often organic. Prices do not break the bank. I'm drinking it right now. It's delicious. I will put I'll put the link to Cowboy Roasting Co. in the show notes and go check them out. Show them some support. Um, you can support the podcast as always by subscribing, by donating in the tip jar. I did some calculations today, and if each one of you donates one hundred dollars per month then I will be able to live off of a salary of $30,000 and do the podcast (laughs) full-time. I'm just kidding. I don't expect any of you to donate that much, but 
Uh, so to take that cost off of your shoulders and to put it onto a larger audience, so hopefully at some point you can all just be donating donating one dollar a month. Uh, you can tell your friends, you can tell people on the street, you can tell whoever you think might be interested in uh, whether it's a single episode of the podcast or just the podcast in general. I think. I'm pretty sure spreading the word is going to be the best way to get it out there. Or you can always leave a rating or review on the podcast app or whatever platform you listen to this podcast on. That is always appreciated. Thank you all so much for listening. And now I bring you Amy Robinson. Thanks for joining me on the podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me. Of course. Um, I think a good way to start this conversation would be to just ask you what Montana Wilderness Association does um, as far as advocating for public lands. And then a little, if you would tell me a little bit about your um, role as the conservation director. Sure. Yeah. So, um, Montana Wilderness Association was founded in 1958. Mm -hmm. So we're a long time grassroots wilderness advocacy organization. Um, okay. Been around all these decades, um, growing and changing, but mostly focusing on um, you know, our wilderness heritage, quiet beauty and outdoor recreation mm -hmm. now and for future generations. And so that looks like a lot of different things. Um, you know, we, we work to get people outside, for example, through our wilderness walks program, mm -hmm. um, and trail stewardship program where we get volunteers out working on, yeah. working on our public lands. And then we also, uh, work on, you know, administrative processes in sort of forest plan revisions and BLM um, resource management plans and all those kind of fun, you know, <laughs> technical related yeah. processes that are really important for public lands management. Right. Um, and then we also work in collaboratives um, across the state and different communities to um, to solve problems for public lands management and and try to come up with some solutions that we can present to managers and also potential solutions for legislation for, for wilderness protection. Um, yeah. So those are some of the bodies of work. And we also have a policy and advocacy arm where, uh, you know, we work, we work on um, advocating funding for state parks, you know, which are, which is really important mm -hmm. and other sort of funding mechanisms for, for public lands and recreation that we all love here. Yeah. So it's lots a, of different components. It's yeah. a lot for sure. <laughs> Definitely. Um, just since I've been, so I've been with MWA about eight years and, um, you know, I think the organization has grown significantly. I think I started, we had about 15 employees mm -hmm. and now we have maybe about 25 or 26, I think 26 employees. Okay. Um, so we're definitely grow, you know, we have grown significantly the last say decade, you know, yeah, <laughs> and expanded our work um, to work on, you know, more, more issues and more public lands challenges and defense campaigns and that kind of stuff. 
Right. Lots to do. That's a lot, a lot for 26 employees, I'd imagine. Do you get a lot of volunteers? Yeah, we definitely have just some really great volunteers at the core of our work. And um, the way the organization is structured, you know, we have our headquarters in Helena, Mm -hmm. and then we have field staff and field offices spread out across the state, you know, from Great Falls to Billings to up here in Whitefish. And, um, And then each area has a local chapter board. So we work with a core group of volunteers in each area to, um, you know, to work on public lands, to, um, to get the word out to our local members, to, um, you know, organize events um, that bring people together and those kind of things um, in communities across the state. So we like to take a place-based, you know, approach um, and connect with people, connect with people in our communities um, in a way that is hard to do um, mm-hmm. if you're just, you know, one organization headquartered in one place in the state, you know? Yeah. No, that sounds like a really good ap- approach. Are the are the public boards, are those um, attended by, like, residents of the given county or city that they're in? Yeah, definitely. So, like, you know, there's a Missoula chapter and mm-hmm. um, a president of that Missoula chapter and um, and all the members, um, you know, or not members, but all the kind of the board members are right. part of that community. They might not, not live in Missoula proper, but maybe they live in the Bitterroot or something like that, you know? Okay. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's an interesting structure um, that, the or, you know, organization's been operating this way for all these decades um but it keeps us close to the people in our communities you know and so that's a really good good um, good thing about it yeah it is really cool and it seemed it's pretty impressive to me how many different places or like how many different projects mwa is involved in and yeah i guess it just goes to show how much kind of spreading that workload out and then involving others um, does to move the pro- those projects forward. Would you tell me a little bit w- about what you do specifically as the conservation director? Oh, sure. I didn't answer that part, did I? <laughs> um, <laughs> um, let's see. So I manage our field strat- staff that are spread out across the state and help prioritize and our program work and strategize how we're going to get good conservation outcomes for the state, you know? Um, And so, like I said, that might be, you know, working with individual field directors to think through a problem. Mm -hmm. Um, It might be working to support, um, provide, you know, support and background and expertise in an administrative process with the Forest Service. Mm -hmm. Um, So it could look like a lot of different things, but um, definitely... I started up here in Northwest Montana and then was promoted to conservation director. So it's been fun for me to look statewide at all the opportunities that there are, um, learn about new places, you know, and my Mm -hmm. my list has grown of new places that I need to go visit across the state. I'll tell you that it's a lifetime of places, right? Yeah, it really is. So the field staff that you're working with, 
I guess what what is their job? Are they involved in like community efforts or involved on those boards we were talking about? Yeah, definitely. Because the field directors live in the communities where they work, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, you know, they know these places and the volunteers and different community members the best, you okay. know, yeah, um, and have relationships, uh, which are also critical. Right. So, um, so yeah, it makes sense based on kind of geographic location to um, kind of section out the work and Mm-hmm. And allow people to be creative and use their skills and um, and talents, you know, right. um, in ways that interest interest them the most. Um, and so it's been really fun working with diverse group of of conserva- conservation professionals who are so talented, you yeah. know, um, and know their communities really well, and um, and working as a team to get good good work done because oftentimes the work isn't just limited to a geographic location either. So we'll work mm. together on kind of more statewide perspective. Okay. Work as well. So, um, so yeah, it's a great team of folks and um, I always feel lucky to work with them. That's really cool. So as conservation director, I'm kind of imagining you're like the sounding board or like where the field staff field directors go to, bring you what their communities have been working on or what what they're trying to work on for public lands in the communities that they're seated in and then i suppose you have more of the big picture in mind as far as like mwa's mission is that a good summary yeah no that's a really pretty good summary absolutely um you know a lot of things so you know we all work you know we have a strategic plan and all mm-hmm. of we all have our work plans um, that we work under right. to, you know, we, we try to, we try as best we can to predict what a year looks like. Yeah. <laughs> I'll just say that it can be, um, you know, you have to be very adaptable in this line of work for sure. Yeah. So um, as things prop up and things continue to shift and change, um, certainly people come to me and we brainstorm new approaches or new ideas or if a, any given any given item um, should be something we should even take on, right? Right. You just can't take it all on. Mm-hmm. So um, definitely kind of a sounding board in that way, talking through different things. Yeah, it's really been eye-opening for me looking at what goes on under the umbrella of nonprofit work. And mm-hmm. it's kind of mind-boggling how many different um, organizations – you're working with whether that's government or the public or different interest groups and I don't know would you talk a little bit about how you how you compartmentalize that I mean it sounds like you're juggling so much as far as I guess these interest groups and then maybe trying to get your interest passed as land protections yeah would you talk about how you compartmentalize working with all of these groups and I guess how how things get done with so many different variables. Yeah, no, that's a big part of it. Yeah. <laughs> um, um, certainly, the challenge to making progress is the human element. I'll just say that. Oh yeah. <laughs> um, and it can be a real challenge just simply working together. You mm-hmm. know, to um, create a plan to work together, right? Yeah. Um, and then there's the next challenge of actually like 
doing the plan that we've said we're going to do together. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, a lot of the work is, um, at least in my realm at this point, right, um, right. is really working with great intent and curiosity to um, work with people in a productive way, you know? Right. Um, And really work on those personal relationships so that you can get good work done. And that can be an amazing challenge, even when we're working under our own tent, you know? Yeah. And as you probably know, and you've been having these podcasts now for a bit, but yeah, it's a lot of energy expended mm-hmm. um, to to kind of make sure that we're aligned and feeling good about what we're doing and all on the same page. And so a lot of a lot of energy goes to that. Absolutely. Yeah, for sure. I've worked with kids for a couple of years now, and yeah, just making sure that you and one person are on page on the same page during a conversation whether that's working with kids or on a podcast or on public boards, I would imagine it's a lot of work and uh, it's not as easy as one might imagine to make sure that you do have the same goals. Mm-hmm. So with that in, yeah. with that in mind, um, it might be a good idea to talk a little bit about different public lands designations and then specifically wilderness. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Because it is um, just a, kind of unknown black box I feel like right oh yeah (laughs) unless you've been in it um so I think it's a great question um you know I so I came on board about eight years ago and I I was actually working um in private land conservation Mm -hmm. Uh, so I wasn't an expert at public land sort of allocations and management um, either. Yeah. So it was a pretty good learning curve for me when I came on board and jumped into working on the Flathead National Forest Plan revision. Okay. And basically, you know, it's like 2.2 million acres of forest, right? That the Forest Service basically zones, you know? Okay. They have an allocation or a management area on every single part of public land. You yeah. Know? And so it's quite an interesting um, process to be involved in is like how to where to draw those lines right Mm -hmm. and and what um what this given area is best utilized for you know yeah um so there you know there's many designations you know i don't know how many right off the top of my head but i want to say maybe a dozen okay um and so say just for timber which, you know, the flat has a pretty big timber forest. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, there's three different allocations for timber, you know, kind of low, medium, and high, right? Um, meaning? And then you have medium, like the, the meaning the volume, okay. right? And the, the management priorities okay. of surrounding each area. Um, and then you have different allocations, like for recreation, kind of, different scales of backcountry, you know, mm-hmm. um, so it's, and you have um, things like special management areas where the Forest Service is, say, working to manage a special, a special plant, right, mm-hmm. maybe a special large stand that okay. has been identified, things like that. So wilderness, you know, there's two, basically two um, 
kind of different designations in the forest plan for wilderness. One is Big W Wilderness, which has <laughs> already been, you know, designated by Congress, right? So you have in the Flathead, you have the Bob Marshall Wilderness, obviously, the Great Bear Wilderness, Mission Mountains Wilderness. And then you have what we call recommended wilderness. Um, and that's, you know, areas in the forest that um, the Forest Service recognizes has wilderness character, wilderness potential, mm -hmm. um, and kind of checks kind of this assessment that they go through, checks some boxes, right? Okay. Um, and so then, you know, through the forest plan revision process, they're looking at all these areas, they're making assessments, um, they're discussing in their revision team, which is comprised of a bunch of experts, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, they work for years, basically, it was five years up here um, in the Flathead, 10 years in the Kootenai. Um, yeah, for the revision, the, for the revision, okay. exactly. Um, so they do this for several years, and then they come out with, you know, their final decision, essentially. Mm -hmm. And so for wilderness, it's really important, specifically for recommended wilderness, because as a wilderness advocate, you know, we work really hard to um, to prioritize specific areas in any given forest or across the state mm -hmm. and help to build the case um, with the Forest Service about why those areas are so special that they should be recommended for wilderness, you know? Right. And then that holds them for Congress to act in the future. You know, so they're managed appropriately, just essentially just like wilderness, right? Um, so that they're, you know, essentially resource extraction or specific recreational uses like motorized or mechanized use aren't allowed in those areas. Mm -hmm. um, and so they set the stage really effectively for le legislation in the future. Yeah. So, yeah, wilderness study areas are kind of baby big w wilderness areas and then i guess kind of one of the distinctions i'm trying to go at here is what you just ended on and i think wilderness and a lot of common vocabulary is used to just mean like the woods or like yeah a, a place where yeah. there's not very many people but when we're talking mm -hmm. about like the legal system wilderness is an actual designation that means like you can't run a chainsaw in here you can't ride an electric bike uh, you can't do a lot of the things that you can in like other national forest areas or recreation areas. And then in the conservation world, wilderness is a pretty hot topic as far as what people should and shouldn't be able to do in the wilderness and what areas should and shouldn't be wilderness. So, yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of opinions. There's no <laughs> doubt about that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, and that's, and that's one of the reasons that I wanted to talk to you is because it seems like you have a lot of experience dealing with those opinions like across the spectrum. And yeah, I just, I guess I'd like to get your take on how you balance those opinions and what are you trying to bring to the table as far as bringing people together on these projects, trying to conserve lands whether that's wilderness or different public land designations what what is the message that you really try to bring to the table when you're talking to all these different peoples with different opinions on how the land should be used yeah well i just say 
I mean, I'll just offer that. I, I mean, my message is very, comes from a very like place from the heart, I right. guess. Mm -hmm. um, and it comes from a very, you know, human approach where I, I try very hard and to see people for who they are and not approach them by putting them in the box or corner, right. you know? Um, I know that this person is, you know, like this and that, so I'm probably not going to like them, or I'm already coming to the table with some kind of preconceived judgment. Right. Um, I really try to approach people with an openness that, to me, um, is really important to get conversation moving and to develop those relationships. Yeah. Um, I've said before that, you know, a lot of, as I grow, grew into being a wilderness advocate, let me, let me tell you, I didn't like, you know, wake up, um, as a child saying I wanted to be a wilderness advocate, right. you know, yeah. <laughs> um, but I've sort of come into this role think, saying, you know, wow, my job is to build bridges and break down walls, you okay. know? Because people, I come to the table and I've been called, you know, the wilderness lady and, you know, people <laughs> put, put me in a box really quickly, oh, for sure. right? Yeah. Um, and so I try to build bridges and break down walls, basically, you yeah. know, if you, you think you have me all figured out, you know, <laughs> well, listen, I'm a human and I bet you we have some things in common Yeah. and um, I'm not the boogeyman. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that's really, that's my main approach. Otherwise, frankly, I'm going to become one of those really old, bitter environmentalists mm -hmm, <laughs> mm -hmm. that I don't want to be. Right. Um, and I still want to be able to find the human element of people as we work through problems yeah. and see people um, in, in their vulnerabilities and their their own specific challenges too, you know? Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So that's, I don't know if that gets to your question, but. Um, well, yeah. I mean, it does. That's a, I think that's an excellent approach. And I also think it's great advice for anybody trying to do anything where they're <laughs> involved with, with people. And yeah, I just, I appreciate that message of building bridges and breaking down walls. With that said, I do imagine in the field that's a little easier said than done. Yeah. Um, yeah. Would you talk about some of the areas where conservation and specifically the projects that MWA is focused on right now, like where you're coming into conflict or not being able to move forward or... Maybe if you are being able to move forward, at least, would you talk about, yeah, where, where really the challenge is today in 2020? Uh, sure. There's a series of challenges. Um, <laughs> yeah. um, but if you want to talk about the ones kind of closest to the ground, because, of course, mm -hmm. there's the political challenges, too. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I think about discussions that I've had with just diverse, you know, diverse people basically who love public lands right. um, and they might be, you know, I would say the majority of the conflict is with motorized and mechanized users, Okay. you know, so people have a lot of really strong opinions about their areas being potentially taken away. Right. Mm -hmm. And people feel that you know, wilderness takes stuff away from them, mm -hmm. you know, takes their interest 
away. And so I certainly am one of those people that like understand that perspective, right? Yeah. So as a as an individual and as a conservationist, you know, and I'll just say, I guess from MWA too, you know, we work in the middle, the very middle of the middle, and it's a gray, muddy area. Yeah. Um, because you know we're working where there are no no specific rules. Will I just say, you know, mm -hmm. we don't hate all snowmobilers and we don't hate all um, timber, you know, timber companies, for example. Right. You know, those people have a place on our public land. And mm -hmm. That value is important, too, right? Yeah. Um, where the challenge lies is to sometimes receive that, you know, receive that understanding about wilderness, right? right. So people oftentimes feel that, well, we have enough wilderness already, or maybe wilderness somewhere else, but not in my backyard, right? Right. Um, you know, those kind of things. And so it's a struggle that sometimes when you're around the table with people, the, the value is pretty one-sided. Mm -hmm. And so that takes a lot of time and I would say energy <laughs> yeah. to help people understand that that value also really matters. Yeah. Um, it matters not just to me, but to, to Montanans who are alive now and in the future, you know? Right. Um, and, and not only Montanans, but of course, people who live all across the nation. Yeah. Well, I guess just taking the opposite stance, I would just say, like, why, why does that value matter? Of wilderness, right? Y yeah, of wilderness. Yeah, yeah. And so, you know, you think about wilderness and values, and it's very subjective, feeling you know mm -hmm. <laughs> and it's a subjective designation right that mm -hmm. we've created um that is now part of the wilderness act you know that was passed in 1964 right and so you know the founders of the wilderness act perceive that it's important to set specific special areas aside you know um where man acts aren't you know the dominant act right <laughs> And where future generations, you know, will have opportunities. And so um, it's, it's a values, mm -hmm. values-based feeling, right? For sure. Um, and so it's hard to, you know, navigate communities where there's varying levels of understanding or appreciation for that value. Yeah. You know? Because we can certainly, as you said earlier, have define wilderness as like a backcountry area that feels wilder than all get out, right? Mm -hmm. But doesn't have a, a big W allocation or doesn't need to be designated by Congress, right? Right. right. Um, you know, for me personally, I, um, I sat around quite a few tables in the past few years realizing that I am the only voice around this table mm -hmm. who cares about uh, setting, setting special places aside for the great unknown, you yeah. know, for wildlife, for people that we, for, um, for people and for, um, I don't know, for being able to, I don't know, just have areas that for all that we don't yet understand. Right. right. And so, I, I was surprised, frankly, mm -hmm. um, because all these people around the tables, they care about themselves and their specific, their specific 
you know, desire, whether it's making money off of public lands, whether it's, um, you know, perceived ideas about management of public lands or whether it's recreating on public lands or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. Um, humans, you know, how we are, we tend to be self-centered. Mm-hmm. And um, so I was like struck with this understanding that, wow, you know, there's nobody speaking up for the wildlife or for these future generations. And this is scary. Yeah. You know what I mean? And so uh, then I began to to um, also dig into the past more because we learned so much from that and understand that, you know, all of our existing um, wilderness areas and pr- protected areas, whether it's, you know, national parks or what have you, um, they had um, advocates, you know, they all had defenders and they who were working to protect those places. Mm-hmm. And, um, and in our role now, as we work as people like me work into the future, we're just one piece of this ongoing effort to defend and protect, you know, yeah. and it's never going to be over mm-hmm. ever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, just because we think that, um, you know, the, the Bob Marshall wilderness is, is protected as wilderness, for example, um, it, you know, hopefully into perpetuity, right? But right. anything could happen in the future. Mm-hmm. Congress can act. Um, people can reprioritize things. Right. Um, so, you know, it's something that I've come to realize is, um, isn't about saving something and then, then being done. Yeah. You know, it's just, we just need constant defenders as we move through life. And as public lands and wild places um, receive more and more pressure. You know? Yeah. That's a, I, I really like that perspective. Um, and I think that's true in a lot of different areas of life is just that constant attention because it's not going to mm-hmm. be, nothing is really permanent. And I suppose if you're advocating for whatever it is, your recreation, try not to get a wilderness made. I mean, you're on one slippery slope there because I suppose that person might imagine that for the rest of their life they can't access this uh, trail that they usually ride their ATV on. But on the other side of the coin, it's a slippery slope from the standpoint of the public land or the wilderness because if you don't have that designation or protection, then, I mean, who knows what's going to happen to it and who knows if those trails are going to be there in the long run anyway. But, yeah, that sounds like a, a battle and... It definitely sounds like taking that bird's eye view or the middle ground so that it isn't dominated by the trend of the time uh, is a really important thing. Yeah, that's a good word for it, the trend of the time, yeah. right? Yeah. <laughs> um, I don't think that the, um, you know, the founders of the Wilderness Act, for example, was imagining, you know, that, you know, there would be drones and e-bikes right right (laughs) and other technologies that um that are that are up and coming that we can't yet imagine either yeah we talked the other day and this is one of the things that you said that really caught my attention is um the the shift now from resource extraction as far as being the main thing that we need to protect in these public land battles air quotes that shift from resource extraction to um recreation and yeah that 
really caught my attention and kind of struck close to home because in Missoula, there's a big rock climbing culture and that recently um, creating new routes was banned in the Bitterroot National Forest. Correct me if I'm wrong. I've heard a little bit about that. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and then there's like e-bikes and a lot of trail biking and mountain biking. And yeah, it seems really relevant. And would you talk about kind of the impact and then the momentum behind the recreation scene these days, as far as public lands are concerned? Um, yeah, I can try anyway. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> I mean, I think about um, the, you know, all the forest plans, you know, across the nation were, were pretty much done, you know, in the 1980s yeah. when, you know, extraction was still the name of the game on public land. Mm-hmm. And tourism and recreation wasn't what it is today. Mm-hmm. And so these plans, you know, the way that the agencies zoned these public plans were very much tiered toward, um, you know, timber mining or, or what have you. Yeah. And so you can see that in reading very clearly <laughs> in reading those older plans. Um, okay. Whereas now, you know, certainly, you know, for example, timber harvest is is certainly still an important part of the planning document. Mm-hmm. Um, it is not nearly front and center um, as it was. And instead, recreation is more part of the decision making. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that might mean making special management allocations for recreation, like intense recreation use, this area of the forest, mm-hmm. right? Like this is an area good for making a lot of mountain bike trails that kind of loop after loop after loop kind of set up for mm-hmm. example um or you know so those kind of for in the forest plan revisions those kind of areas on the forest are actually like targeted you know whereas in the past there was never anything that detailed and so that could look like mountain biking trail you know just kind of trails kind of front country near town, mm-hmm. you know, where people want to get outside after work, right? Right. Um, and so a lot of that stuff makes sense. And and is the Forest Service working to kind of meet public demand? Mm-hmm. You know, I'll just say real openly here that in regards to wilderness, though, you know, in the past, in the, in the 80s, again, the Forest Service would justify not recommending specific areas for wilderness because it potentially provided a lot of good timber in that area right okay um and so there were clear you know (laughs) decisions being made about areas that that could be wilderness Mm -hmm. based on like how much timber they had okay um and now it's kind of a similar scenario but with with recreation so Um, You know, specific areas are not being recommended for wilderness because those trails are being coveted by mountain bikers, you know, whereas um, in the past um, they were recommended, but now those areas are being dropped because mountain bikers really, um, really like them. Mm -hmm. And so that impacts wilderness potential, I guess, is my point. Yeah. And I guess a couple things are coming up, but. My first question would be, is there, I guess, I don't know how subject to change Big W Wilderness is, but is there any pushback from recreation community about the current, like, laws or regulations in a wilderness area 
as far as like being able to use a bike in a wilderness area? Is that something that has come so far as threatening the actual limits set in wilderness areas? Um, yeah, sure. So there has been some threats from, from, you know, some folks in the mountain biking community want to be able to amend the Wilderness Act or change the Wilderness Act somehow to allow mountain biking and mechanized use. Mm-hmm. So um, there's certainly that group that they're called the Sustainable Trails Coalition, and they're, um, they believe that mountain bikes should be allowed in wilderness. Mm-hmm. And then there's other, you know, there's other ongoing are kind of not ongoing, but like threats that kind of crop up. Like a few years ago, there was a bill introduced to kind of restore or not really restore, but <laughs> I guess include like, I guess it is restore because you may know that there was like a bunch of old airstrips in the Bob Marshall wilderness. Oh, okay. And by airstrips, we're not talking like paved areas. We're just talking right. like a field that a couple like planes have landed in. Yeah, flat <laughs> um, yeah, right. So, um, so there was like you know a little push by a member of our delegation to like open up and make official all these airstrips. There was I think seven or nine airstrips. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, this is like the constant defender role, right? In the sense that no, I mean it's our job to make sure the public knows that. Um, that this is happening and right. it's honestly been my experience that the public loves defending their wilderness areas, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and so there's, you know, no problem in Montana love, Montanans love the Bar Marshall wilderness, for example, and they don't want it to change, yeah. you know? Um, and yeah, it's fine to have one airstrip there, but we're not, we don't need many, many airstrips. That's mm-hmm. just not what we're looking for. Right. So, um, I think similarly um, with bikes in wilderness, you know, but that um, I think the majority of people want to keep wilderness, you know, and uses in wilderness as they are today. Yeah. Um, I really do feel that way, but I think that the challenge is just have helping people to elevate their voice, you know. Yeah. Um, and make sure that the delegation or specific decision members within um, in the Forest Service, for example, know that this that these you know, these areas are important and, and, and worth protecting. Yeah. Um, so we spend a lot of time trying to help uh, membership and Montanans um, express themselves. You right. know, um, which can be hard because, gosh, there's a sure a lot to sure a lot of things to weigh in on, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Yeah. So how do you kind of see through the see through the, um, all the demands, you know, and pick your few issues that you want to weigh in on, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's not an obvious, it's not an obvious thing that people would defend. I mean, with something like mountain biking or rock climbing, I mean, that's seems like more of a tight knit community, whereas I don't know, wilderness is kind of solitary. And then the ideas behind protecting it are pretty abstract. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it makes sense that it would take a lot of work to deal with that. Um, go ahead. I was just going to say that. Um, and, you know, I think that there's so many people that love and appreciate wilderness Yeah. Um, in our state and, and certainly far beyond. I mean, I think people are going to be coming here this summer from out of state just looking for 
some wilderness experiences, you yeah. know, um, and in need of it desperately. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, but I do think that in general, as you said, people are confused by what wilderness really means and is, and there's varying definitions. Mm-hmm. And I do feel like it's a bit of an underground movement. Yeah. Know? Which is unfortunate and something that we're always trying to work on. Yeah. I guess kind of backtracking a little bit, I guess I would want to get your take on, I mean, what MWA seems to be working towards is like looking for these areas that that have the potential to be wilderness areas and other public land that can have protections increased. So I guess I wanted to get your take on why don't we have enough wilderness already? And I guess what's the value of continuing to add on these different public lands and these different protections? Sure. Um, Well, I'll just say that, I mean, in comparison, there's a lot of different ways I could answer this, I think. Yeah. (laughs) But um, I'll just say that Montanans have been working for a really long time to protect some of the same wild country across Mm -hmm. the state. Mm -hmm. And um, and we haven't had a a statewide wilderness bill that has passed unlike other states, right? Okay. Um, We did have the Rocky Mountain Front Heritage Act passed in 2014. Mm -hmm. Um, Before that, it was almost 30 years that we had since we had passed wilderness. Okay. Um, But that was not without plenty of effort. Okay. Um, um, specifically in the eight, late 80s and, and early 90s, several Montana bills, wilderness bills were introduced. One in 88 was actually passed by both um, the House and the Senate and okay. then um, quietly died on um, Ronald, Ronald Reagan's desk. Oh, um, and so I guess I just wanted to share that with you because we're still trying to protect some of that wild country that was in that 88 bill. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So it's not like the work, it's not like um, um, we're just trying to grab up all the remaining wilderness potential. Mm-hmm. We're just still trying to protect some of those areas that have been identified for decades. Right. Um, and it has been in previous wilderness legislation. And so I've certainly been... Um, uh, accused by some that, you know, well, there's a fear, right? There's a lot of fear out there from mm-hmm. all different sides that, um, you know, wilderness advocates, we're just always going to want more and more and more wilderness, mm-hmm. right? Um, no matter what, we're not going to be happy. Um, well, I don't really think that's true. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> because um, for one thing, there's only so much land Right? right? And the land now has already been decided, most of the land has already been decided on the uses. You mm-hmm. know, this area is for timber harvest. This area is for motorized use. This area has awesome mountain biking experiences. Right. Um, and these areas need to be managed, especially for these, you know, plants, um, mm-hmm. for example. So um, I guess my point is there's not a, just an unlimited amount of opportunity. Right. There's only a few more like roadless areas that, um, that we, you know, can realistically protect. Mm-hmm. So that's my sort of pragmatic view. Now I'm not saying that there's not, you know, opportunities like to, you know, add on areas to the Bob Marshall wilderness and things like that. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, 
but there's just not an unlimited amount of opportunity that we can go and grab up for land. Right. <laughs> no, it, yeah, it's and it's it's obvious. I mean, if you've if anyone's ever flown in a plane, you look down, all you see is agriculture. So, um, yeah, right. And I mean, I'll say that politically, like, um, you know, our senator, you know, or our delegation is not going to um, introduce a bill into Congress with mounting community opposition, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> so if, if, you know, we want a wilderness bill that protects all the last remaining roadless areas in any given mountain range, mm -hmm. that there is existing uses there like mountain biking or motorized use. Mm -hmm. To me, in my pragmatic approach, is like those areas aren't going to float in Congress. Mm -hmm. You know, like we need to concentrate on areas where, um, you know, we have broad support. The areas are currently wild; they're being managed as wild. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, we're not displacing existing use, right? Right. And um, there's still some areas like that, but there's not a whole heck of a lot. I'll tell you that. Yeah. Would you? Do you have some of those in my on the top of your mind right now? Um, well, I'm thinking about like areas in the Kootenai National Forest, yeah, um, where there's some remaining roadless areas, but there's not a lot because it's been heavily roaded and timbered there. Yeah. Um, but there's some really cool wild country that is lower elevation. Mm -hmm. That's not about rocks and ice, mm -hmm. um, but it's more about like habitat wilderness. I like to call it, you okay. know. And there's a lot of like prairie country too in eastern Montana like that. You know, yeah. you don't think of prairie as wilderness, but there's plenty of amazing life there. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, there's also new areas like I'm thinking about in the Flathead National Forest that, you know, is recommended for wilderness. There's recommended wilderness areas across the state already right. that are being managed like wilderness and those areas are ready to get legislated, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Let's just, just like legislate those. Yeah, yeah. Um, but then we've also got like these collaborative agreements where we're able to agree on even more areas for wilderness. Um, mm -hmm. And those areas have potential too, you know, without displacing other values. Yeah, yeah. No, there's a, a, lot to, a lot to protect out there. And I think your point about being not just about being pretty not just having mountains like big glorious mountains but just being a place where there's a lot of wildlife or being a good wildlife habitat that's kind of untouched still i think that's really important and not a lot of us tend to think about that because it it does like you're saying is apparent throughout the bills that uh and legislation that can be read across the last half a century is it's very biased towards, I guess, what we want to see out there. Yes, I completely agree. Yeah. How would you say that we're doing um, compared to other states? So you said we haven't had a, a bill passed since, did you say the 80s? It's a long time. Uh, well, we had the Rocky Mountain Front Heritage Act passed okay. um, in 2014, and that... Um, protected some conservation management areas and some wilderness along the Rocky Mountain front. Okay. Um, but it is interesting. I was just thinking about my colleague, John Gatchel, who has been with MWA like 30 years. Mm -hmm. He's a 
pretty a wealth of knowledge. You would love to talk to him. Okay. Um, he um, he recently likes to quote like percentage of designated wilderness in other western states mm -hmm. and it it just signifies like it underscores rather like um that there's room for more here i guess yeah um and so for example like wyoming has 4.9 percent designated wilderness and montana has 3.7 oh wow um and California has 14.2% designated wilderness. Wow. All those people in California. And yeah. again, we in Montana have under 4%. Yeah. So Idaho has 9%. Mm -hmm. And Washington has just under 10%. Okay. So, and we are under 4 and we have all of these amazing public lands and wild places. Right. You know? Yeah, and it's one of the most important things for montana i think and then i mean we were talking about the the survey that came out that showed that that's one of the biggest shared values of montana yes yeah. yeah i mean it, it it does seem like a priority and i mean even 14 percent. i mean i hope i don't sound too radical saying this but that doesn't that's not a lot like that's mostly territory that we're using yeah um well, yeah, don't get too radical. <laughs> <laughs> I have been accused of being a little radical. It's kind of fun. So yeah. I, I encourage it. Um, <laughs> um, yeah. So anyway, I mean, I think I really do think like, you know, I work with, you know, a lot of different people from a lot of different perspectives and, mm -hmm. um, you know, the timber wars are over. You know, I just got to say that out loud here. Okay. Um, you know, we're being supported by the timber industry for wilderness designation. You mm -hmm. know, like they're like the, those old days are gone. Like we get it. Mm -hmm. You know, we we just want to manage the forest in, you know, the areas that are suitable for us to manage. Like we aren't trying to manage wilderness or recommended wilderness or anything. Right. So, um, you know, I think that there's a lot of general support from Montanans. Um, we're just having a really hard time getting bills to Congress and passed by Congress hmm. in the state. So what? it's, you know, it's political. I think it's, um, you know, the, I think if we had you know, senators that could work together, for example, yeah, then that would really help us get hearings in you know, the Senate Energy and Natural Resource Committee mm -hmm. um, and be able to move bills along in the processes. Um, but we just have not had a delegation that works together um, that can, you know, prioritize some of these bills. So, yeah. And wilderness, as you said in the beginning, is, you know, you're going to have to, as a member of the delegation, be willing to take some heat, mm -hmm. you know, and um not everybody's willing to do that yeah it i've been having these conversations with friends and lately about how there's so much going wrong or just not how it should because a lot of our systems seem to be more focused on opposition or defeating the opponent uh, whether that's like politically or um, legally that we miss the point of these things that we actually do agree on um yeah and it just i don't know 
it sounds like we have this core value as Montanans that we uh, want to conserve our land and we we value our forests and our wildlife and it just doesn't sound like the the political sphere is really matching uh, our values. I don't know. Would you agree with that or? Yeah, I mean, I think it it makes me think about the Blackfoot Clearwater Stewardship Act, right? Which is our Mm -hmm. one wilderness bill that we have in Congress. It's not just wilderness. Mm -hmm. There's timber components, there's um, snowmobiling and mountain biking components as well to secure specific areas for recreation. Mm -hmm. Um, And then it secures about 80,000 acres of wilderness. And so anyway, that bill, I mean, that, collaborative which is again diverse people they have been working together for well over a decade now (laughs) to get this bill passed and um it's been in various forms and um looked different but now it is what it is which is the blackfoot clearwater stewardship act and we're still just like working to get a hearing you know what i mean um and it has you know that poll that you referenced um that you know that recent public lands poll mm-hmm. it polls at 75 percent support the blackfoot clearwater stewardship act yeah um and so i mean geez that's pretty dang high numbers and and i think this is a bill that a lot of montanans know about at this point mm-hmm. <laughs> um you know not everybody does i realize that but a lot of support here for this bill and we just still can't get the get you know get a hearing basically and yeah and get our delegation to work together to make this um happen it reminds me of yeah where i'm from in in the kootenai national forest in eureka uh the ten lakes wilderness area and i remember wilderness study area and i remember kind of learning about this growing up and then realizing that wilderness study means that it's like a baby wilderness it's not a wilderness yet and then just the years went by and it's I mean it's now (laughs) and it's still not a wilderness and so yeah that it seems like a long a long process which is surprising because of how much support it does have locally yeah um yeah WSAs are a significant challenge in and of themselves Mm -hmm. (laughs) And, you know, that was an act passed in 1977, which designated several um, wilderness study areas across the state, Okay. Um, which basically mandated, like, the Forest Service to finalize a study, mm-hmm. like, you know, hey, Forest Service, look at this area and tell us if it meets wilderness credentials, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> and then either recommend that area or not. Um, and so some of the WSAs or wilderness study areas, you know, those studies were complete. Some of them were not. They've been in this purgatory all these years because they were meant to, you know, kind of be in this state of like study and then basically get designated or not designated. Right. And so with, I would love to talk about 10 lakes because I know that area really well. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, you know, that is one of the areas that 26,000 acres of the 33,000 acres have been recommended for wilderness by the Kootenai National Forest. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and so that's really cool for us wilderness lovers. Right. Um, and so that was recommended in their 80s plan, and it was also recommended in the recent 2015 forest plan. Mm-hmm. But the fundamental challenge here is um, that whole area is much loved by snowmobilers. 100% of it is open to snowmobiling. Mm -hmm. The Forest Service does not want to kick them out. Mm -hmm. Um, And so it's a highly controversial zone. Um, They're supposed to have done a travel plan over a decade ago that they have not done. Um, And so those are those areas that... Um, it was going to be really hard to legislate because they're so controversial, yeah. you know, like Senator Tester or Senator Danes is never going to want to, um, you know, pick that area up and bring it to Congress when there's so, when there's not a huge amount of opposition, but the opposition that does exist are extremely loud. Right. right. Yeah. What you mentioned a travel plan. What's a travel plan? Yeah. So, um, a travel plan is like another process that the Forest Service goes through. Okay. Um, so you have like the big overarching forest plan, mm-hmm. and then you have travel plans, which is basically about recreation in a lot of ways. Like where should there be wheels allowed, you know? Uh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> and where, how are we going to manage these trails and that kind of thing? And so, um, and so that there, you know, a lot of, travel plans are sort of on hold right now but that's certainly one of them yeah yeah and with the Kootenai in particular uh on that forest it's there's such a distinction when you pass over those mountains uh, like Terry Pass into Ten Lakes Mm -hmm. area because most of the rest of the Kootenai from my experience is roaded and like obviously logged and it's still beautiful. There's a lot of really wonderful areas you can get to, but once you cross over into the Ten Lakes area, it's a lot different. There's like a whole different character there because it hasn't been as touched. Yeah, it's beautiful, isn't it? Yeah. I really like it there too. Yeah, it's a wonderful place. Yeah, and it's definitely much loved by people in Eureka, huh? Yeah, yeah. I always hear people like, just love going camping for the weekend and you know bringing families and it's just awesome for that going fishing Mm -hmm. yeah are there any other i guess battles uh i don't know if battles is the right word is there anything else that you're working on that's taking up a lot of your attention right now anything that you're hoping to move forward on in the near future so many battles um no i'm just teasing (laughs) um sort of teasing um Let's see. Um, yeah, I mean, there's so there's a lot of different things going on. Um, you know, we're so we're we're continuing to work on the Blackfoot Clearwater Stewardship Act, as I said. Right. Um, we're working with the Blackfeet Tribe to protect the Badger uh, Two Medicine Area, mm. right? Mm-hmm. And that's been something that we've been working on for a long, long time as well, with bunches of partners, because all of our work takes a lot of different people you know mm-hmm. um one thing that's coming out here soon um i've been talking about all these forest plans right mm-hmm. well there's got two forest plans coming out here on the helena lewis and clark national forest and on the custer gallatin national forest and okay. both of those plans one is going to be released later this week okay and then one's going to be released next month so we're pretty excited us like 
planning and wilderness nerds, yeah. right? <laughs> um, to get those plans out. They're kind of in their very final last stage. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, kind of a lot of the public comment stuff is, is behind us. And now the Forest Service is really kind of, um, you know, really narrowing in on a decision. Okay. Basically. Is that something that, like, are you waiting on the edge of your seat for this? Because you don't know it's going to come out or do you kind of have an idea of how it's going to turn out yeah well i mean the beauty is is that we we really cooperate with the forest service you know um and so we like to tell them when we don't like things too mind you (laughs) (laughs) um but we also really try to actually um solve problems with them you know if if there's something we don't like Mm -hmm. we try to approach it with like you know a solution how about this instead of you know um because that's how you can actually help shape things um so i guess that the long and the short is that we have a pretty good sense of what how things are going to come out Mm -hmm. um which is great um but also you just never really know until it comes out and you can kind of dig dig into it a little bit Um, because these documents i mean these are like binders full right i mean these are just like giant volumes of information Mm -hmm. so um again like for some of us who are slightly nerdy about it it's kind of fun yeah would you be able to like summarize some of the changes that you think might be kind of finalized in there what's like what might be different about the management um well i'm I'm not sure so i don't i like i hate to like speculation too early but um You know, I know that we've been we've been working on protecting you know places on the Helena Lewis and Clark for a long time, and places like um, Nevada Mountain okay. and the Big Snowies Wilderness Study Area and the Middle Fork Judith Wilderness Study Area. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, there's more areas, um, of course, but those are some of the ones that we've been really working on and. And also, like, adding some protections along the scapegoat wilderness and things like that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Cool. And then, yeah, so just to clarify, the forest revision plan is a document that basically outlines how the Forest Service is going to manage that area? Correct. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Just, like, zones of management across the entire forest. Okay. Okay, well, how can how do people get involved in these kinds of projects? Like, as a, a resident of Montana, how might someone show their support to these causes? Yeah, well, thanks for asking. And, for sure. um, you know, I think that there's a lot of different ways you can get involved as just a normal citizen, and mm-hmm. I just encourage it. Um, you know, we have a lot of different campaigns, whether it's, Um, you know, caring about Helena Lewis and Clark National Forest or whether it's um, caring about how the BLM land manages land for oil and gas, Mm -hmm. right? Um, So we have things that you can do to sign up and then we'll keep you in the loop. Do you know what I mean? And so I guess I would just say that um, please just go to our website at Mm wildmontana.org And, um, and you'll see kind of in that top part of the 
on the web page, on the, the home page, like what's hot right now, right. you know? And you can click on those items and see kind of where you end up. The reality is our website has a, a ton of information. Yeah. <laughs> so it can re really be hard to like figure out um, what to dig into and what you really think is important and what you're most interested in. Yeah. Um, but it's certainly like, I would say like if you want to volunteer or if you have a really special interest in something, um, you know, reaching out to the field director in that specific area is mm -hmm. a really good start because, you know, you might want to serve on the local board or you might want to write like a letter to the editor about someplace that you really care about. Yeah. Um, so there's a lot of different ways that you can lend your voice to the movement. It just, it just depends on kind of what you're comfortable with, you know, and how you want to engage. Yeah. That's a beautiful website too, but yeah, I would imagine that, like, anybody speaking out about this is probably a big deal because I don't know if our public participation is at its highest right now. Yeah, well, I will have you know that, um, you know, we look for small successes in this business. Yeah. <laughs> That's a great outlook. I'm telling you, you got to. Um, yeah. So um, my lovely colleague, colleague, Erin Clark, who works out of our Missoula office, um, she was working on the Nez Clear forest plan revision, which, um, you know, is sort of the forest plan in Idaho, yeah. but is part of the Great Bird, right? Okay. So it's a big roadless area that spans the Idaho-Montana border, and mm -hmm. it's a big roadless area. That is again bed in historic wilderness bills and all of that. Yeah. Um. And so she was thinking, oh, you know, we ha we're under a pandemic right now. Um. People probably aren't really focused on this right now. Mm -hmm. But we got hundreds of comments into the Forest Service, mm -hmm. thanks to all the citizens who who commented and participated in the revision in the state. Oh, awesome. Um. They commented. I think we got over 400 comments. Um, uh, on this Idaho forest plan. Why? Because it um, connects to our Montana wild places. Mm -hmm. And so it was heartening to us. It doesn't take much for us to be heartened. Um, but it's also like, wow, people really do care right now, even though we're in this weird pandemic, right? Mm -hmm. People yeah. are home and they want to do something. You oh, know, yeah. they want to help and they care about these places. And so... Um, so we were all just really grateful for all the citizens who commented on that plan. So if you're out there and listening, thank you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And the, the pandemic seems to have spurred a lot of outdoor recreation. I know that every time that I go to a trail, like I go to Blue Mountain here to run occasionally. And it's just every time I show up since this has started, the parking lot is packed. Everybody's out recreating, which that's that's yeah. probably a great thing. Um, you bringing up the Great Burn just makes me think about how many different places in the state that you must want to visit, like you mentioned earlier. I, uh, I, I spent some time at the Great Burn, uh, last November and it blew my mind. Just the size of the cedar stand there, mm -hmm. um, right outside of Missoula. I never would have guessed it's there. It's a really incredible place, but I guess, how do you... How do you spend your time in the wilderness or outside? Yeah. Um, well, I definitely try to plan 
as many backpacks as I can mm -hmm. every summer. Um, because, you know, a lot of these places, they're hard to experience in one day or one night. Oh, yeah. Um, you just can barely touch them, you know. So I've dreamed of not working for a whole summer so that I can really dig in. Yeah. <laughs> oh, but I don't you. think... Yeah, but I don't know if that's quite possible. Um, last summer or last spring, I had a baby, oh, and so um, yeah, and so that certainly certainly helped shape how I'm experiencing the outdoors this past year. Okay. Um, yeah. But um, but we're getting outside um, and having a fun time, just in a different way, you mm -hmm. know. Um, yeah. So yeah. Any hidden gems out there that you would be willing to divulge? Hikes. Yeah, there's so many, right? Mm -hmm. um, you know, I have to say that because I live here, you know, in Northwest Montana, this is the country I've been exploring for the past eight years. Uh -huh. um, and, you know, the Whitefish Range is my backyard. Mm -hmm. And um, and certainly an area that not very many people go to because the park is just on the other side of the North Fork River, right? right. <laughs> and so that's where most people are going. And so... To get up into the Whitefish Range is is wild and solitary and, and amazing. Yeah. Um, so I would encourage folks to to look at the map and um, and pick a peak um, that looks of interest and get up there because you probably won't run into anyone. There's not like water and lakes to go to. You know, it's a very dry range, mm -hmm. um, but it's pretty spectacular you can look over into the 10 lakes area and then you can look over into the park and up into canada you know okay so it's very spectacular views yeah that sounds great well amy thanks so much for joining me on the podcast today this has been super fun yeah well thanks for having me yeah of i appreciate course. it it's been yeah. fun chatting yeah it'd be good to talk again do it okay take care amy okay you too bye-bye bye-bye Thank you, everyone, so much for listening. I hope that you learned as much as I did in that podcast. Please go show some love to Montana Wilderness Association. You can find the link to their website in the episode notes. Oh, yeah, one thing I didn't mention at the beginning is on their website, there's a, a quiz called Kootenai Critter Quiz, and you take this quiz, which is basically an assessment of your personality, and it generates your spirit animal. So, this is something that I've been wondering about my entire life, but apparently, according to the Kootenai Critter Quiz, my spirit animal is a bighorn sheep. Oh, and that has to do with the, uh, the animals that live on the Kootenai National Forest, which is in northwestern Montana. And so, guess what? They sent me a sticker of a bighorn sheep, and it's pretty cool. Not an average sticker. It's on my water bottle right now. All right, everybody, thank you so much for listening. If you want some delicious coffee, you can check out cowboyroastingco.com. Ethically sourced, doesn't break the bank, delicious, no reason not to. Uh, if you do buy some coffee from Cowboy Roasting Co., let them know that the node sent you or Steven sent you. As always, support the podcast by subscribing, donating in the tip jar, which you can find at the bottom of the show notes. Tell your friends, tell your enemies. Tell everybody. Let's get the word out there. And you can also leave a rating or review on whatever podcast platform you listen to this on. All right. Thanks, everybody. See you next time.